This is Books of Titans, the podcast dedicated to the influences of influencers. The books that have helped shape prominent inventors, business leaders, athletes, intellectuals, scientists, and others. We'll talk about what makes these books such classics and at least attempt to have an intelligent discussion about what makes them so important and influential. Hello, this is Eric Rostad. Today I'm covering War and Peace by Lev Nikolaevich Tolstoy, which in English translates to Leo Tolstoy. This episode will consist of three segments. The first one is going to be a, a broad overview of the book, an introduction to the book of sorts, how it's structured, and some information about uh, my reading of it, who suggested it, all that kind of fun fun stuff to uh, to get us started. The second segment will be my favorite parts of the book, along with some quotes to go with those parts. And then the third segment is the the ever-famous, the one thing, my one key takeaway from the book. And I do that so that you have something you can take away from the book, and then also it's, it's something that helps me remember this book. So, War and Peace. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the, the epic novel. It's, it's the big one. 1,386 pages. I read the unabridged version. So, you'll, you'll see a lot of abridged versions of, uh, of some of the classics out there. And so, instead of it being 1,000 plus pages, it'll be 300 pages. And so they just kind of cut out anything that is not immediately directly related to the story. But I don't want to do that. I want to read the entire thing uh, as it was written. And so I get the unabridged version. And I obviously can't read it as it was written because it was written in Russian and translated, obviously, into English so I could read it. Uh, I, I read the Constance Garnett translation, which was completed in 1904. And what's cool about that is Constance knew Tolstoy personally. So the the translation that I read, which was the modern library version of the book, uh, was, was done by this Constance Garnett. There are also large portions of the book in in French. So it took me 40 days to read it. I read it between October and November of last year, so 2018. And I read it on my iPad and my iPhone. So I had the printed version of the book as well, but it is quite large. And with this one, it was such a long book that I was reading it wherever I could. So that's why I was reading parts of it on my iPhone, because if I was in the car and I had five minutes uh, where I was waiting... Um, I would I would pull it up on the iPhone, and I don't like to switch back and forth between, like the physical book and the the digital book, uh, for for reasons of note taking and underlining and that sort of thing. So, I just did it all electronically. All my notes and underlines and stuff would transfer between my iPad and iPhone. So, if I was at home, I'd have my iPad. Uh, if I was out, my iPhone, and and that allowed me to 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 read it uh, quicker than. I would if I was just trying to read it when I was at home. I also I do try to read one classic a year. And so this year I'm going to read Don Quixote uh, for 2019. And I just find it a good practice to, to read at least one classic a year. They've obviously stood the test of time. And I, I just I enjoy it. I've had really good experiences with, with a lot of the classics. So this, this particular book, 
uh, was suggested by three different people on the Tim Ferriss Show podcast. So I just want to highlight them. Uh, the first was Nick Kokanis, and that was in episode 341. Uh, second, Aubrey Marcus in episode 302. And the last one, there was an, a dual episode with Cal Fussman and Larry King, and it was also sh- suggested in that in that episode. So back to the author, the Lev Nikolaevich Tolstoy. And I did listen to a YouTube pronunciation, so that is, uh, that's somewhat close, probably, uh, you know, to, uh, to, to how you say it. But if you look at the book, the, the version I have, it just says Leo Tolstoy and not all those other cool, uh, like his cool middle name. And I'm not sure why they turn, turned Lev into Leo, but uh, they did. And anyway, he was born in 1828 and he died in 1910. And what's interesting about that is that this novel, The War and Peace, spans... 1805 to 1820. So he, he was actually not alive during the, the portion of history that this novel spans. And it, it is a, it is historical fiction, but Leo Tolstoy, he, he would, he didn't even consider this a novel. And, and that's one thing, uh, as we get into the, to the structure of, of how this book is set up, it's, it's, it's a unique thing about this book. It's, it's not just a straight up piece of fiction. Uh, there's, there's historical parts to it. There are, uh, it's, it's almost like there's essays. So you're reading, uh, you're reading different, different things that, uh, Leo Tolstoy wants to get, to get across. So he, he tries to do that in the novel, uh, in, in what the characters are saying, but then also at the, at the end, I don't know, I don't know if he just gets fed up or what, but he just, he just kind of writes an essay about, uh, different views on things. And that's in the epilogue of the book. So it covers, yeah, the nature of war, power, history, historiography, and it's all within a, a, a novel, which he didn't consider to be a novel, but for the sake of this this episode, I'm just going to keep calling it a, a novel. And within, the, within War and Peace, we, there's a lot going on, obviously, in these 1,386 pages, but we do follow one person throughout the whole book, and that person is Pierre Bezuhov. And I'll, I'll get in, into more about him in, in the second segment, but, uh, but yeah, through everything that happens, we, we, we at least have that uh, standard person, and, and there are a lot of characters in this book. And I, I'm really bad remembering characters when I, when I read. So one thing I did with this book is I I took it very slowly, especially at the beginning. And anytime I saw a character come up, I would write it down in my notebook and I would take notes on that character. And if they came up again, I would write those additional notes. And so I had a notebook going this whole time uh, while I was reading it, where I would, I would refer back to what I had read or what I'd written about that character. And then anytime they came up again, I would, I would add notes and then review those notes. So that, that helped me. Um, and it might be a good suggestion when you come up to a book like this, cause there's so many characters and it gets a little hard to, to remember them. And especially with it being a long book and this one, you know, took me 40 days. And so over that time, I, I, I even forget stuff then, but being able to reference those characters every, uh, every time was, was very helpful. Another cool thing about the book, I mean, the, the title War and Peace, there's a lot of both 
in the book. So there's a lot of war and there's a lot of peace scenes. The book I highlighted last week on the on the podcast was The Art of X-Ray Reading. And in that book, Roy Peter Clark talks about the 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 way that authors will bring all the characters together. And maybe that happens at the beginning of the book or just kind of throughout. And this definitely happens a lot in War and Peace. And the way that a lot of the characters are brought together, where they interact, uh, is is through these big dance balls and high society type of things in St. Petersburg and, and in Moscow. And so we see a lot of the characters come together and then these characters will be in the war scenes and then uh we'll go back to the peace scenes and there there it's it's interesting too because these things are happening at the same time so people are having parties while wars are going on and so there there's a interest interesting contrast in that but but yeah it's war and peace you you definitely get a lot of those and it's a very realistic book uh you, you don't necessarily see the glory of war but you see the horror of war. You see characters that you think are brave and strong. You see them go into battle scared out of their minds and, and on their horses just running towards the action, not even sure of what to do and, and hoping they live, uh, but get, getting shot as they as they go through that. And, and yeah, just a all-around very realistic book. And the one thing, one thing that really stuck out to me, this isn't the one thing from segment three, but one thing that really stuck out to me is just the depth of character throughout the novel. So you, you get deep into these people's lives and they're, they're, there's not like any trite characters in this book. I mean, you are, you're getting into the depths of their soul. Uh, one of the, the first parts of the epilogue. So just back backwards just for a second the structure of the book is broken up into four different books and then we have an epilogue and then within the epilogue that consists of two parts um in that epilogue uh well at the end of at the end of part four of the book pierre the main character gets gets married and it's a second marriage but it's kind of a lot is building up to this marriage in in the book and then we get to the epilogue and you just kind of think okay everything's been building to this. This is going to be a great marriage. This is going to be awesome. And then the epilogue, you, you get a, you get an insight into their marriage and, and it's hard and it's not perfect and they're not living happily ever after, but you, you do see a real marriage. You see the fights, you see the tension, but you, you also see the love and, and you see, you see it that it's real and, and it doesn't feel fake because it's not just everything's good or, or most of it's good, but it's like, he goes into the depth of depths of, 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 of this marriage. Uh, so the book is real. It's, it's, it just has unbelievable depth and, uh, it was, it was an amazing book. So I, I loved reading it. Um, I'm, I'm going to go into some of the things that, that were just amazing in, in the next segment, but I'm glad I read it. It was, it was hard. It was long. It was a very long process. I, I kind of wish I had tracked the number of hours I spent, but it was multiple, multiple hours. Uh, but it, w- it was worth it. Before we dive into segment two here, I want to, to highlight something new on the Books of Titans website. 
The Books of Titans project is based around the idea of having a reading list, a, a yearly reading list. Uh, for me, I read 52 books per year. I set that list in advance. And with that in mind, I've opened up the Books of Titans website for you to share your reading, your yearly reading list. For just $9 a month, you can submit the books that you're reading. And when you do that, I'll put them up on the website into a visually stunning format, one that you can actually take screenshots of and share it on social media. And then you'll get access to the back end of the website to be able to write reviews, rate the books, describe why you chose them, put the dates that you read the books, and other details, who suggested the book, for instance. You'll get your own URL, so it'll be booksoftitans.com forward slash your name. So if you, if you want more details on this, you can go to booksoftitans.com forward slash my books. And I've got three options available there. The, the basic one is just $9 a month. And then there's another option with some more custom options. And then a third option where I, it'll, it'll actually be your own website. So you can choose whatever you want to call it. You can choose the domain you want to have. And then you'll be able to show and share your reading list right there. Also want to highlight uh, one one other thing, and I had breakfast this morning with a guy named Alex J. Hughes. He's local here in the Nashville area as well, and he also is a big reader. And he has a website at his name, alexjhughes.com. I will link to this in the show notes, but I encourage you to go there. He he reads some great books. He, ha- he then shares all of his notes from the book. They're very detailed, so... If, if, uh, if you don't have time to read the full book, it's great to just go to, to his site and, and get the notes from that book. And then he also writes a lot of excellent articles that tie together a lot of the ideas from, from what he's reading. So really interesting guy. We had a great, uh, r- great time over coffee this morning and, um, someone else that's, uh, that, that has a, a deep love of reading and a desire to share what he's, he's learning in those books. So now into segment two, I want to highlight three different parts of War and Peace that really stuck out to me. And I have a quote for each section here, and then I'll dig into each part a little bit. So the first one was Tolstoy's description of Napoleon. And in general, this novel jumps all over the place. It jumps from character to character. So you're you're seeing a battle and you're seeing it from a Russian point of view, like just a Russian soldier and then you might see it from a Russian general and then you jump over to the French side and you see it from Napoleon's point of view. So that was really neat just to see all the different points of view. Uh, yeah, you just you, yeah, you're, you're all over the place and, and um, there's one point where Tolstoy describes what is possibly going on in the life of Napoleon. And I, I just found this to be so interesting and so insightful that I want to read the quote and then and then describe what I was thinking uh, after after I read the quote. So here, here's the quote. Never, down to the end of his life, and again here his is referring to, to Napoleon, had he the least comprehension of good, of beauty, of truth, of the significance of his own acts, which were f- too far opposed to truth and goodness, too remote from everything human for him to be able to grasp their significance. He could not disavow his own acts, 
that were lauded by half the world, and so he was forced to disavow truth and goodness in everything human. And that, that's the end of the quote. So basically, Napoleon became a god, and even even in War and Peace, he's he, he's worshipped by by even the Russian military leaders. They just they think of him as a force of nature and, and something you don't mess with. And but a lot of awful suffering and pain and change in all of Europe ensued from from Napoleon's wars. So even if Napoleon himself were to consider all of the suffering that he was responsible for, he's still lauded, he's still praised and, and applauded by half of the world. And what this quote is, is getting into, he couldn't disavow his own acts. So even if he wanted to acknowledge the suffering that he created, he couldn't. And so instead of, of, of that, he disavows truth goodness in everything human. Instead of disavowing his own acts, he disavows truth, goodness, and everything human. And I mean, that, that was just, a, that's amazing, an amazing insight into this, this person that's lauded by half the world, this, this great military leader. And this gets into some of, uh, some of Tolstoy's views on history later on, and I'll get to that a little later, later here, but, um, but yeah, that, that quote was, was outstanding. The, the second highlight is of the character that we follow throughout the book, and, and this is Pierre Bezuhov. We follow th- him from the beginning. We, we meet him, and he's an absolute nobody. Nobody wants to be around him. Nobody cares. That is, until he inherits his father's money and prestige. So his father dies and leaves him everything. We, we see Pierre, though, and, and that, none of that stuff satisfies him. So he all of a sudden has all this prestige. Everyone goes from not paying any attention to him to kind of falling all over themselves to, to, to just get near him. He's got all this money, but it doesn't satisfy him. So he meets somebody on a train, and this person promises fulfillment if he joins the Freemasons, if he, if he becomes a Mason. And so he goes that route for a while. And that doesn't satisfy. He finds love. He gets married. And that marriage ends in, in just destruction. And, and it's, a, it's a horrible marriage. Uh, he ends up finding love again. And, and again, that, that's not what ultimately satisfies. But there is a point where Pierre finds peace. And it is through suffering Pierre gets 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 arrested during the war, and he is in line to actually be executed. And right before he's going to be shot, he 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 gets out of it. And then just uh, in captivity, he he experiences suffering, and that's where he finds his peace. And I thought that was just brilliant because he he gets a lot of the things that that people think are going to satisfy in life. But it's not until he goes through suffering that he he experiences peace and joy. And so here's a, here's a quote that goes along with that, uh, and it's kind of a long one. So just stick with me here. But uh, just a, an amazing quote towards the towards the end of the book. He could seek no object in life now because he now he had faith. 
not faith in any sort of principles or words or ideas, but faith in a lever, a living, ever palpable God. In old days, he had sought him in the aims he set before himself. That search for an object in life had only been a seeking after God. And all at once in his captivity, he had come to know, not through words or arguments, but by his own immediate feeling, what his old nurse had told him long before, that God is here and everywhere. In his captivity, he had come to see that God in Karatiev was grander, more infinite and more unfathomable than the architect of the universe recognized by the Masons. He felt like a man who finds what he has sought at his feet when he has been straining his eyes to seek it in the distance. All his life, he had been looking far away over the heads of all around him, while he need not have strained his eyes, but had only to look in front of him. And that, that ends the quote. But just a, an amazing transformation of, of this character throughout, throughout the book. And when you've, when you've invested 1,300 pages of time with, with this person, to, to see that transformation and, and to wonder what is going to ultimately satisfy this guy, uh, it, was, it was pretty neat to see that through suffering. And, and obviously a connection there with uh, what, what we saw in the book of uh, Man's Search for Meaning and the, the suffering that was, was so vivid and apparent in, in that book. And yet uh, when people had meaning, it, it allowed them to, to get through that. Last thing I want to highlight here in, in segment two is uh, what I'm going to call different kinds of truth. And we came across this idea in 2017 in the book, The Things They Carried, which was, was one of my favorite from my 2017 reading list. But uh, one, one chapter of that book is dedicated to describing the difference between happening truth and story truth. And this is in the context of war. So he, he talks about happening truth of, okay, this is what happened in this battle and in very kind of linear, like this, this group of people went here and this, and then this happened. And then, and then this group of people won. Uh, and so that's what, what actually happened, happening truth. But then there's story truth. And the author of the things they carried, Tim O'Brien, he says in the fog of war, story truth usually gets closer to the actual truth of what happened. And it's it's a neat thing to think about. I mean, uh, tragic, obviously, too, in, in the context of war, but a neat way of thinking that, of uh, thinking about it, of of relaying information from the heat of of battle. And so there's there's a quote that happens in this book, and it it made, it made me think of the things they carried. Uh, and, and this one's a, a shorter quote. So here it is: After Austerlitz and the campaign of 1807, Rostov knew from his own experience that men always lie when they describe deeds of battle, as he did himself. He had had too sufficient experience to know that everything in battle happens utterly different, differently from our imagination and description of it. So again, uh, nothing crazy here, but just it, it reminded me of the things they carried and, and just, uh, you know, if you're writing about war, which this book does a lot of, uh, the, the the different ways of of talking about a battle and a, a story truth versus a happening truth and things happening in battle differently from our imagination and description of it. So that's gonna that's gonna close out segment two here and then when I get come back, 
I'm gonna cover the one thing. seen the movie Braveheart, it starts out with Robert the Bruce narrating, and he says, I shall tell you of William Wallace. Historians from England will say I am a liar, but history is written by those who have hanged heroes. History is written by those who have hanged heroes. Throughout this novel, Tolstoy shares his thoughts about history. At some points, it occurs within the actual story, and then, as I mentioned before, at the end, he just kind of goes into straight lecture essay mode and and talks about his views on how history actually takes place and how that differs from how most historians write about it. So his biggest beef at that point of time, and, and he again, he wrote this novel in the 1860s, uh, 1863 to 1869, his biggest beef was with historians who took the point of view that history was written and it was viewed through the great man theory, that great, the great men of history directed history, that the decisions that Napoleon made impacted all these, these people. And, you know, if you didn't have the great man, then you wouldn't have had this. And, What's interesting about this case in particular is the battles that are taking place in War and Peace are called the Napoleonic Wars. I mean, we we, we call them Napoleonic. So it's obviously Napoleon is the main person in this. But have you ever heard about the Napoleonic Wars from the Russian point of view? I I never have. I mean, I've, I've heard of... Napoleon making a mistake by going into Russia and he went too far and, and all that, but it's all from his point of view. But one really cool thing about this novel is we, we get the war, we get the Napoleonic Wars from the viewpoint of the Russians. And so back, back to this viewing history through the great man theory, Tolstoy just thought this was rubbish. And he does an amazing job throughout the book of just showing individuals in battle and the decisions that they make, how that impacts the, the, whole, the whole direction of a, of a certain battle and the free will of soldiers within constraints that, that their free will is what ultimately determines the, the point of a battle, the direction of a battle, and, and the end of the battle. It's their fear. It's their bravery. It's, it's all these things coming together, and, and it's not necessarily that such and such general made the decision to, to do this, because you still have all these individuals that have to carry out that, that, that direction. So it, it, it's interesting throughout the book that, that, uh, that he covers this. And there's one battle in particular, and this is the Battle of Borodino. And this is the battle which is considered the turning point of, of the Napoleonic Wars, if we call them that uh, anymore after reading it from the from the Russian point of view as where as well, but it's considered the turning point, and the French the French won the battle. This this is a battle that takes place in Russian territory, and the French won. I mean, from from that battle, they went on to Moscow and they occupied Moscow, but the French lost 
that battle. They won it, but they lost. They lost it in terms of morale. And that's why it was a, a turning point. After that battle, Napoleon was never the same. They, they, the, the Russians retreated. They eventually retreated, and it, it was after that, that battle, after they were in Moscow, they retreated back to France. Many French soldiers died on the way home. It was cold. Uh, it, it was terrible. And, uh, I mean, just a ton of French soldier, soldiers died on the way home uh, trying to get back to France. So consider the turning point of the war, but it's, it's just so interesting that the French won that battle, but they lost that battle. And so my one thing, my one key takeaway from this book is, is to be careful how you look at history. Be, be careful the, the sources you consult, and be careful if you're always viewing a battle from one side, if you're only ever viewing these battles from the French side and, and never from the Russian side, or vice versa, if you're always viewing it from the Russian side and never from the, the French side. Be careful with that. And, and this book is just a, a pretty much, uh, he highlights that throughout, throughout the book. And so you're, you're not going to miss that point if you, if you read this book, but it's a good reminder and, and a good thing, I guess, with, with any story, especially with, if you, if we're looking at, at modern day news, uh, when, when we're just getting one point of view in, in an immediate point of view, without even the, the context of, of history or, or being able to look back at what happened. Just be careful at, at, at how you look at that. And, and so that's, that's my one key takeaway from the book. That's going to do it for this episode. And before I sign off, just a reminder that you can now share your own reading lists on the Books of Titans website. Just go to booksoftitans.com forward slash mybooks. You can also follow Books of Titans on Instagram and Twitter, and that is at Books of Titans at both of those places. If you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to this podcast and find all of our past episodes in iTunes, the Android Marketplace, or any, any podcast player out there. If you're enjoying the podcast, I'd ask that you would, you would go ahead and rate the podcast. That helps iTunes put it up in the search results. Uh, because it shows that people are listening to it and, and rating it. And uh, it also helps people find find the podcast and, and to see what, what you think about, about it. Also encourage you to share your favorite episodes on, on social media. We'll be back next week with another book. And until then, keep reading, keep learning, keep listening. And I'm out.